You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. Good morning. If you would, turn to Romans chapter 1. And our focus this morning will be the gospel of Christ in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And so Paul, after gaining the attention of his readers by explaining his purpose in writing the book of Romans, as introducing himself, giving you his position, his authority, and his mission, in verse 1 he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel. Then in verse 8 through 15, He establishes a rapport with the small group of believers that are in Rome. And he pins them a personal message, a message of encouragement, a message to say to them how much he has been encouraged and how much he has learned through the testimonies that have echoed throughout the Roman Empire. So much so that Paul has heard of this and is writing them back. And he says, I've heard of your spiritual service to the Lord. And so he writes this and he says, this is what he says about their spiritual, their spiritual service. He says, you guys have a thankful spirit. And I'm thankful for you every day. He also says that you have a concerning spirit. That you're concerned for those that you minister with. That you're thankful. That you pray for them always. And he says, you have a willing and submissive spirit. And granted, these are the things that Paul has learned because he says, you know, hearing this, hearing this about you, it's things that I'm taking note of. And so he says, I'm eager to come to you, but God has called me here for now, but eventually I'll be there. And so he's willing and submissive. That there's a loving spirit about the people in Rome. That there's a humble spirit. That they link arms, they serve together. They give God all the glory. There's a fruitful spirit that, that they're ministering and that fruit is being birthed from what they're doing for the glory of God and not themselves. And that they're obedient to the Spirit and that they're eager to teach. And so what is this true spiritual service that we're talking about when we look at verse 8-15 through in Romans? What does that mean? It's a service that edifies the universal church yet brings glory to God the Father. And that's what Paul has seen. That's what Paul has heard echoed through the testimony of the Roman believers. And so now Paul enters into his thesis for the entire epistle of Rome. And these two verses express the theme and what we would say and what scholars would say is the most life-transforming verses in Rome, in the, Rome, in Roman, in the book of Romans. And so to understand this truth, it is huge, it is important to us And not only to understand it, but to respond. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let me pray. Father, 
God, I pray that uh, God, that our hearts are open, that our ears and minds are open to hear the truth of your gospel. God, that it is so important that we understand that you sent your Son to rescue us. And it was by his power alone that he brought salvation to mankind. And so, Father, remove all the distractions. And allow us to hear clearly your words and the truth of your gospel. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we're going to settle in on verse 16 through 17 this morning. And really it is, it's, it's the gospel message. It's the gospel that Paul is so eager to preach, so eager to teach to the Roman people, and really to all, all believers, all non-believers. He wants to establish the truth within believers to say, this is the gospel, this is how it should look, this is how you should teach it. And then he wants to say to the unbelievers, this is the gospel, this is the truth, this is what it looks like. It's not Caesar's gospel, it's not that Caesar has called us to worship him in deity. He is not deity, but God is deity. God's Son, Jesus Christ, is deity. And so this is the truth of the gospel which Paul wants to relay to the Rome, to the Roman people in the Roman church because we know and we've realized from last week we talked about it that no one has been to Rome yet. No one has went to Rome and said, look, let me, let me lay out the, the groundwork for you. Here's the gospel. Here's the message. The, the Roman believers were from the day of Pentecost. They, they, were, they left there as believers and went back to Rome and just tried to serve faithfully. And so Paul's writing this letter. They have no background. They have no groundwork of the gospel and so he's relaying this message to them and in verse 16 Paul writes he says for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jews first and also to the Greeks and so the reason Paul is not ashamed of the gospel is because of this because of the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes Paul was not ashamed and I think Paul has a pretty good track record of this if we look through Scripture. And let's just kind of recall that. It says Paul was imprisoned in Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was smuggled out of Damascus. He was laughed at in Athens. He was considered a fool in Corinth. He was declared a blasphemer and a lawbreaker in Jerusalem. He was stoned and left to die in Lystra. And yet Paul still, with boldness, the gospel. He still declared the gospel in the midst of all of this. And so when Paul pens this, it's not this fancy up letter to try to inspire the people. It's truth that he bleeds. It's truth that he breathes, that he lives. And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For there's nothing more important. And he declares that with boldness and he was not intimidated by the Jewish leaders so much that he went to the most pagan society in all of biblical history, which was Rome. He says, I long to be there. I'm eager to be there. I mean, look what they've done to me so far in these small towns and villages, yet I'm willing to walk in the midst of the most pagan city 
the Roman Empire. He says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the truth of the gospel. And so I think for us, the hardest thing for us, the hardest sin for us to avoid is being ashamed. Being ashamed of the gospel. I think when the opportunity for us to speak Christ in people's life, we often retract. Why? I think because we know it's not attractive to the world. You know, it's, it's not the most appealing thing to the world because what? It reveals the ugliness, the sin, and who we are as man. And the world doesn't want to hear that. They're not interested in that. And so I love this. It says this. It says, if you took a, a white chalk and you drew a big circle around a goose, that the goose would not leave the circle for fear of the white line. That's very interesting. Because I think that plays a lot into us as Christian believers. And that our circle, that white line, that if you draw around our Christian fellowship, we have fear to leave that. There's a fear within us from ridicule that we will be opposed. Uh, we may lose our jobs. There's so many things that that white line represents. But the security of our Christian believers has kept us within it. Just like the goose, he's scared to step over the line. He doesn't know what it is. All of a sudden, hey, there's a white circle there. I'm not crossing that. And so in our faith, we've, we've done that with our Christian fellowship, with our Christian fellowship, that we're scared to step outside of that circle because we're comfortable. These four walls, it's, it's good. Life's good, right? No one's challenged me in here. No one's standing up and ridiculing and criticizing who I am and my faith and what I believe, what I've built everything on. No one's shaking that. If I step outside these walls, They have every right because they want to see my reaction. They want to see me respond. Is this gospel true in my life? It's true in these four walls because it's easy. But when I cross the unknown and I walk as Paul did, unashamed. Unashamed of the gospel and the truth. That's a big question. A big question we must answer. And so now, unfortunately, because of this, the church has so-called pretty up the gospel. They've softened the gospel. They've allowed it to um, be politically correct in the midst of the world. And this hurts. This hurts. Now we see churches conforming to their doctrine and their theology so that they don't hurt any feelings. And it's sad. It's sad. We must be a people who stand for what we believe no matter what. And I love what Gregory Wilson says. It says this, The unpopularity of the crucified cross has prompted many to present the message which is more pliable to the unbeliever, but removes the offense of the cross always, but the removal of the offense of the cross always renders the message ineffective. An offensive gospel is also an inoperative gospel. Thus, Christianity is wounded most in the house of its friends. 
We've been wounded. We've been wounded from within. The gospel, the gospel gives life. And what we're so afraid of brings so much victory and truth into the unbeliever. And yet we're so afraid to offend. We're so afraid to make someone uncomfortable. But we're giving them life. We're giving them life. So Paul's supreme passion was to see men saved. He cared nothing about personal comfort, popularity. He didn't care. He was not willing to compromise the gospel at all, but only to speak the truth because he knew and he understood the power to change man's life, the power to change the nature in me only comes through Christ. Only comes through Christ crucified. And His power, not my own. And so the gospel is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. And in verse 16, this word power comes from the Greek term that we get our word dynamite. It's pretty cool, right? The gospel's some dynamite, right? And so I love it, I still love it. But his power alone is sufficient. And this is where we must weigh in that, that his power alone is sufficient to save me save men from our sins and to give us life. All people desire to change in some way and we see this, all people want to change in some way. They want to look better, feel better, have more money, have more power, have more authority. I mean, we all want that to some degree. That doesn't fulfill, it doesn't sustain. Only God, only God's power can give us a new nature. Can give us a new nature. And I love in Romans where it says the old is gone. And that word old means it's of no use anymore. Like if we're believers, we have no use for this. If we're truly been transformed, we have a new nature. This nature is it's gone. It's of no use. So we should not look like this anymore. We should not act like the world. So God's power is the only thing that can overcome our sinful nature. And in Jeremiah 13, 23, the Lord says this, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed of doing evil. We're accustomed to doing evil. We were born with a nature to do evil that opposed who God was, a nature that was all about self. So how can we do good? That's the question. That's what, that's what he poses here. He says, how can we do good? How can those accustomed to doing evil do good? It's not within us. It's not within man's power to change that. And so in rebuking the Sadducees, um, Jesus says this. He says, you are mistaken in Matthew 22, 20 to 29, he says, you are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures for the power of God. For it is of the power of God. It is not of you. It is not of man. But it is of God to change nature. So the only power that can do that is Christ. And the Bible makes this so clear. It is so clear that we cannot do it through works, through rituals, traditions, church, uh, moral good, Human means cannot do it. We cannot do it. And even, I love this, even the law, it says the law was not given to save men, but to reveal their sin and to drive them to God's grace. The law in itself did not come to save man. It came to reveal to us that we need a Savior. We are wicked. And that we need a Savior. And in Romans, Paul declares this, 
in chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, while we were feeble and without power, he says this, God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans 8, 3, it says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. And then reaffirming this truth in 1 Peter 1, 23, he says, for you have been born again, not of a seed that is imperishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. And then Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then in verse 23 and 25, it says, But, the word, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews as stumbling blocks to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. So what the world thinks is silly is fact, it's the power of God. It is the power of God to transform our life, to bring us out of this realm of darkness and into the realm of light. And it is not crazy, but it's true. It's true. And it's by His power. His power alone that He can deliver us from death and give us life. And that He gives us the right to be called children of God. Amen? We are children of God. And so I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2. It says, When He came to you, brethren, I did not come with, with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. That's what Paul wanted to know. Paul wants to know Christ crucified in your life. He wants the redeeming power to transform your life, my life. He doesn't care what you think it should look like. He only cares that you know the truth of how you are transformed. We all have a way that we think and feel Scripture looks. But we have to sit Scripture teaches and the truth that it teaches. And it's by God's power that you are transformed, not by your acts, not by your duties, not by your works. Through His grace and through His power to redeem you and to transform you. Later Paul says this in verse 20, he says, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power, in the redeeming power of God. Every believer, no matter how gifted we are, mature we are, we have human limitations, we have human weaknesses, our minds, our body, our perception, they're imperfect. Yet, this is the cool thing, this is what one philosopher says, he says, yet, even though we're imperfect, even though we're no good, this is what, this is what he says, yet, incredibly, God uses us to channel His redeeming and sustaining power when we serve Him obediently. What an encouragement. What an encouragement. God chooses to use us, to use His children to reveal His power and His glory. You were created for a reason. You were created for a purpose. No matter what the world says about you, you are beautiful. You are beautiful in the sight of God. And He has a plan and a mission for every one of us. 
when we're obedient to His call, when we're obedient to the Gospel, His power will change our lives and it will bring glory to the Father. And the psalmist writes this. He says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood he alone has the power. He alone. And then in verse 16, it goes on to say this. It says, For the power of God for salvation. Power of God for salvation. So we know that God is the only one that has the power to change our lives. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves or who we are as human because we're infallible, we're not perfect. There's nothing that we can do to transform our life, to move us from a, the, this old life to a new life. That is only through the power of God. He says this, For the power of God for salvation. This term means deliverance. It means rescue. That He has rescued us. Paul writes this 19 times in his letter. Five of them right here in the book of Romans. And this idea of deliverance or rescue that it points to the power of God in salvation. That His people are ultimately charged with the penalty of sin and death and yet He comes and rescues us and delivers us into a kingdom forever. So it says His salvation brings deliverance from the spiritual infection that we have as this perverse generation. And it brings us deliverance from lostness. Matthew 18.11 brings us from sin. Matthew 1.21 from the wrath of God. Romans 5.9 And it brings deliverance to men from spiritual ignorance. Hosea 4.6 2 Thessalonians 1.8 it brings us deliverance from self-indulgence. Luke 14, 26. It brings us from this darkness of false religion. Colossians 1.13, 1 Peter 2.9. But it brings us deliverance only for those, look in verse 16, only for those who believe. Only those who believe. It says, for it is by the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first, and also to the Greeks. This idea of believe, this word believe, carries this basic idea of trusting in or having faith. Have we trusted in? Have we believed? Do we have faith in the power of God that it changes lives? And so if salvation was available first to the Jews and then became available to God's, all of God's chosen people, Salvation is not merely professing to be a Christian. We've heard this. It's not merely us just professing that we believe. It's not baptism. It's not moral reform. It's not going to church every Sunday. It's not receiving sacraments. It's not rituals. It has nothing to do with that. No self-discipline in life. Nothing to do with that. Salvation is this. Salvation is believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that through the power of His good, not our good, through His good that we trust in His finished and perfect work on the cross. That is salvation. That is the reason that the Gospel has saving power. It transforms us. It brings us into a newness of life. A life that we cannot achieve on our own. So we must trust in the perfect and finished work of Christ. Christ crucified. We must believe in that. And the reason that we believe in this 
because it reveals the righteousness of God. Look in verse 17. It says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith alone. So the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith. The righteousness of God, the glory of God is revealed to all mankind through the act of salvation. God has imparted Christ's righteousness to us to make us holy and blameless and set apart a nation that is holy. We are a priesthood, a royal priesthood, set apart for His glory, for His good works, for His good deeds. So this is our spiritual position. We are holy, only in Christ. We have been separated from sin and set apart for God's use. And then it says in the Old Testament, Paul writes this, it says, but the righteous man shall live by faith alone. Abraham, father of the faithful, his scripture says this, it says he believed and it was reckoned to him righteousness. That he believed, that he had a faith, that he trusted, trusted. And it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And this emphasis here, is on a continuous faith. It's not a one-time act, but it's a way of life. It's not an emotional appeal or emotional attraction, but it is a way of life. God didn't call us to say, yeah, we, we love you in this one moment, this one time, and then we never think about Him, we never live for Him, we never love Him. But He's called us to endure the race, finish the race, to finish well. God has called us a way of life, a way of living, a sanctified life that is holy, that is set apart for His good, not our own. So this idea carries that. It's emphasized here that it's continuous, that it's ongoing. That we are people who have a faith that started in a moment and won't end ever. It won't ever end. That we will continue to be faithful to God and trust in Him no matter what. And so this is a response as the band comes back up. This is the gospel of Christ. I'm going to read it to you one more time. It says, For I am, in verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, listen to these four words, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes or has faith the Jews first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith alone. This is the Gospel. It's so clear. It's so simple. We've heard it a thousand times. We've been a part of a thousand services that said, raise your hand, do this, come to the front. Let me just tell you, these are the four things you need to know about the gospel, and they're very basic. If you don't know the gospel, this is my heart cry. Know this, the power. The power lies in Christ alone in His perfect and finished work. It has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with me. I cannot achieve it. I cannot do so many works to somehow bring myself into a better position with Christ. It's only because He came lived and died a perfect life on the cross. So there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in what He did and not what I've done. The other one is salvation. 
He has rescued you. He has rescued you from the darkness. He has brought you into life. This is the gospel. This is good news. That you are children of God. That you've been adopted. Faith. That we have a faith that believes and trusts that this is true. That this is good. This is the only thing that satisfies my life. There is no better gospel out there. This is the true gospel. The good news. Christ lived, died for us so that we could bring glory to the Father. And then righteousness. That He imparted His righteousness to you, to each one of you as believers, and that you have a responsibility to the Gospel, to be set apart from this world, and to live a life that glorifies and magnifies who He is. And nothing to do with who you are. So this is our response. If you've known the gospel, there's, there's two, two responses. If you know the gospel, you've trusted and you said, yes, this is true in my life. I understand that it's nothing to do with me, that all the power lies in Christ for me to be rescued, to be redeemed, to be saved, to salvation. If you, if you understand, if you trust in that, and God has set you apart for righteousness, this is the challenge. Get out the circle. Get out the circle that you've, you've drawn around yourself. Whatever it is, fear, criticism, ridicule, get out of that circle. There are a multitude of people who need to hear and see, need to hear and see the gospel lived out in your life, in your communities, in your workplace, in your home. Your children need to see the gospel lived out in your life. So I challenge you, if you know the gospel, live it out. Get outside these four walls. Get outside that circle. Live the gospel truth. The second one is you don't know the gospel. Please don't leave here without knowing it. Grab me, Joe, Casey, Joe, any of the elders, anyone you trust that you know is a believer. Ask him the question. Let them pray with you. There's no format. It's God calling you and you trusting in that. You responding to the truth that he has redeemed you. That he wants to set you free. That he wants to rescue you. If you don't know that truth, please, please do not leave here without us praying with you, speaking with you, loving you, and encouraging you. God has called all. Please respond. Please respond to His calling. For there is a life that you do not know and you cannot explain apart from Christ. He gives you a new life. He's called you children. Let me pray. Father,